1: Is Josh Marshall and this is the Josh Marshall podcast. We had uh primary elections across the country last night. Maybe you were up um seeing what was happening in real time. You know, when I do this, uh I I I tend to follow these things on Twitter and I have a curated list of election numbers people who I follow. Because, you know, if you if you um If you make good judgments in your life, you would know that there's really no point in watching on election night. Just get up in the next morning and see what happened, right? But but for people like me, and maybe like you, that's not how it works. You kind of, you know, why you're watching the results come in, good question. But we do. And so what I always want is there are there is a certain class of people who election watchers who know pretty much every state and every district and the different counties and districts and stuff like that so as as results come in maybe there's only you know 4% in But if they're from certain counties or certain areas or certain, you know, certain specifics, you can glean a lot. And, uh, you know, maybe 20% of the results are in and one person's behind. But if you know how to read the results, you know, okay, that person's behind, but they're going to win for X, Y, and Z reasons. And um, I have followed this stuff long enough that I know how that works. But you've got to be a kind of an encyclopedic mind or kind of have that be your specialty to know all the demographics and political geography and all this kind of stuff to to be able to do that. So anyway, there is a – and this overlaps with the kind of people who do polls, but it's not the same thing exactly. and but I got a list of those people who I follow who can kind of allow me to know what's going on uh, on election nights. Uh, one uh, former uh, TPMer and uh, friend of many years, Eric Kleefeld, He's kind of like this. He does this. He's not. He doesn't really do it on election nights, but he's he's got that. He's got that encyclopedic knowledge. So. Last night, uh, there were primaries, uh, you know, not in every state in the country, but primaries across the country in a variety of states. Uh, there were ones in Oregon, there were ones in Pennsylvania, there were ones in North Carolina, um, there were ones in other states. But those were ones that, that um, tended to get a lot of uh, attention, nationwide attention, particularly Pennsylvania, and North Carolina. Now, North Carolina was all about Madison Cawthorn. You know, there was a bunch of other primaries there, but they wouldn't have been um, closely watched nationwide if it weren't for this guy. Now, I assume you know who Cawthorn is. You know, he's one of these kind of uh, wacky, far-right Republicans who gets elected from a safe uh, district um and he just came in in 2021 and now he's on the way out cuz he lost his uh he lost his renomination and uh this guy is just a a kind of a crazy story on on so many different levels because first of all, as a very young man, I don't know the exact age, but I think in college um, was in a horrific auto accident and became paralyzed. And he, he you know, is the rest of his life is in a, in a wheelchair. Um, and a couple years later, two or three, I don't know the exact. He's running for Congress at 25 years old, and remember, there aren't a lot—you know—age restrictions don't usually come into play at the federal level in U.S. politics much, because you don't have people like "Oh, I'm 19, I'm running for Congress," right? <laughs> but remember, 25 is—you have to be 25 to serve in the House. Got to be 30 for Senate. Got to be 35 uh, uh, for President. So anyway, uh, he, any, and he wins. And uh, he immediately goes into overdrive in that, you know, that caucus that we have had with different players for many years now, the kind of the whack job caucus in, in the GOP House, the people who were, you know, going to white nationalist rallies and and uh, saying terrible things about immigrants and Muslims and and, you know funding insurrections and all that kind of stuff so that was madison and uh he was one of those guys and it was kind of you know moving along and then what was it a couple months ago he's on some podcast what's a podcast uh he's on some podcast and he starts saying how you know it's it's you know it's it's corrupt and it's babylon here in the big city in washington dc and i got my republican colleagues i guess he didn't technically say republican colleagues but it was clear from the context he meant republican colonies you know asked me to kind of snort cocaine and go to their orgies like okay dude (laughs) that's interesting um and even though you know all the other stuff he had done, and even though this was kind of, if you listen to the words, it's sort of obvious that it's just bullshit, right? I mean, <laughs> maybe there are orgies, but I don't think these guys are inviting Madison, you know, it's it, whatever. In any case, that was, that was it. That was it. His colleagues were done with him after that like really done with him um you know there was a big uh a kind of a a a silent revolt in the house gop caucus where you know people going to mccarthy and saying dude get rid of this dude i'm done and uh just why that really set them off there's a few different reasons and a little debate over that but it did And there's been a series of scandals since then, scandalettes, I guess, but they're really driven by that because it's clear that people in the Republican Party got together and said, we need to get rid of this guy. And they basically started dropping oppo research on him, you know, for over the last couple of months. And it was enough. He lost came, you know, close, but, but again, it, this is like a very conservative district in North Carolina and North Carolina is one of those states where you got some pretty liberal parts of the state and like some really conservative parts of the state, especially in like Western North Carolina. Um, so that was one of the, one of the takeaways. We're going to talk about that. Uh, and then the other state that at least was getting a lot of national attention was Pennsylvania. Uh, lots of primaries, but the big ones people were following were the uh, governor and Senate primaries on the Republican side and the Senate primary on the Democratic side. And uh, John Fetterman, uh, who is you know kind of a, a star now in the in the National Democratic Party? He's currently lieutenant governor of uh, Pennsylvania, but has this whole kind of mythology around him. I think he was definitely the f- the favorite, and he won handily. So that's done. Um, I don't know what's going to happen with it exactly, but he had a minor stroke uh, over the weekend. Um, it sounds like what's called a a. Um, a transient ischemic uh, um, stroke, which is kind of, I don't want to get too far into the details here because it's not obviously not my expertise, but ones that generally don't do much damage and there's sort of clots that pass largely on their own. In any case, I'm not going to be dumb enough to try to describe what different strokes are like, but the point is, it seems like he's basically fine but still, he's a relatively young man, so you know, raises some questions about his health or whatever. In any case, that's that's settled, that's done. He's the nominee, and then on the Republican side, you have uh, this guy Doug Mastriano, who's now the Republican nominee for governor in Pennsylvania, who uh, you know, kind of Mister Big Lie. Uh, was there on January 6? helped fund and arra- you know, organize January 6. He's, you know, he's that guy, and he's now the, you know, the the governor nominee in what's still a somewhat blue state, right? And then the other on the Senate side, you've got this you know, this kind of uh, weird battle where um, Trump endorsed Doctor Oz you know, TV huckster doctor. I think he's one of those guys who started out with Oprah. I think Oprah, like, kind of brought him to the party. And, like, that other guy she did turned out to be a real piece of work. Uh, You know, who's that psychologist guy? Do you know? you know, Dr. Phil. Right? She kind of, I mean, I love Oprah. But she brings these dudes in and suddenly, like, dude, why'd you bring this guy? He's not good. So, anyway, Trump endorsed Dr. Oz. Um... And kind of a just kind of one of these weird Trump-eyed figures in as much as like, I don't think Dr. Oz is really kind of like a political guy. I don't think he's really a conservative, not saying he's a liberal, but he's just like a huckster TV doctor. But because he's TV famous, Trump liked that and he got in with Trump and suddenly he's Trump's guy. And you had in that race, you had him. Everybody's running as a Trump candidate, but Oz was endorsed by Trump. Then this other guy, McCormick, who's like a hedge fund guy or something, you know, Wall Street hedge fund guy, uh, but but running as a Trumpite guy. And then this woman, uh, wait, Burdette? Wait, I'm for Barnett, Barnett. Um, You know... (laughs) very far out there even the trump people were trying to at the last minute they were afraid she was going to come from behind and win they were out there saying man she's saying terrible things about gays and immigrants and muslims He can't have her that's how bad it was right um so uh mastriani he mastriano won that's you know far blew everybody else um out of the out of the park and then uh barnett she did not win, but who won is not is still not clear it's It's kind of neck and neck, a few hundred votes separating uh, McCormick and Oz. We don't know how that is going to um, how that's going to sh- uh, shake out. but we're going to be talking about that and 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 probably um, other races around the country and just what it all means and stuff like that. But before we do, let me remind you that as summer drags on, your daily iced coffee can start to taste a little flat spice things up and make the switch to Grady's New Orleans style cold brew coffee whether you're a bourbon street pro with the beads to prove it or you can't tell a beignet from a bagel you know it's funny Kate, I'll tell you this. When I was reading this before, I was like, "Do I know how to pronounce beignet? Is that right?" <laughs> because if I don't, it's really going to spoil it, and I'm really going to be embarrassed. But we're going to assume that I pronounced it right. It was good. Uh, if you, yeah, okay. So if it, or if you can't tell a beignet from a bagel, you'll bagels more my my heritage. Um, you'll love the way it tastes. Grady's captures the distinct flavor of New Orleans style coffee by adding chicory to their coffee beans. Chicory has a light natural sweetness that makes for a perfect cup of iced coffee. That Rich, smooth, and never bitter. Ready to give the best of the Big Easy. Wait, what? Ready to bring the best? Oh, okay, got it. Ready. Sometimes your 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 brain is sort of like processing a sentence, and it doesn't make sense as you read it the first time. Uh, ready to bring the best of the Big Easy home. See home. You're bringing it home, but as I said, was, I was, big, big home, what? Okay.
0: Knocking it out of the park, if, boss. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I
1: know. Ready to bring the best of the big, easy home. Get 25% off at Grady'sColdBrew.com with promo code TPM. That's uh, Grady'sColdBrew.com with promo code TPM. You know, I'll tell you a little personal testimonial about Grady's. Um a few days ago i was at the market and uh i went to grab some grady's and grady's has the new orleans flavor and they have a few other flavors they have like you know mocha and french vanilla and stuff like this i like the new orleans style and and the others are are, they're great as flavors just not i don't you know i prefer the the new orleans style so uh so i was like ah you know and i see this other brand it's got an animal on the label See this other brand? I'm like, you know, how bad could it be? Because they've got, you know, the New Orleans style of that of that brand is is in stock. So I get uh, I get one bottle of like you know mocha something Grady's, and I get one bottle of New Orleans style of this unnamed brand because you know Grady's been around. They know Grady's is great, so they're going to at least try to catch up and make it almost as good. So I get home and I try it. Man, it was terrible. It, it did not come close to Grady's. And, and, and this is, you know, this is, this is my uh, extemporaneous, uh, you know, endorsement. Grady's is so good. And even like the other big brands are like, are you kidding me? What, what is this? So uh, with that out of the way, Kate Riga, my co-host, what, uh, what do you think about last night?
0: It's funny. In some ways, you know, we were seeing this morning if we were going to write any kind of broad sweeping, here are the themes of the primaries. And there wasn't anything that you could really get to without somewhat tortured of an interpretation, I think. In some ways, it was really predictable. Basically, kind of everything we thought that was going to happen happened. Um, you know, it's kind of a mixed bag for Trump endorsements, kind mm-hmm, of a mixed mm-hmm. bag for, uh, you know, what would you would call, Progressives versus interests. There, there wasn't a lot of clear thematic consistencies, which maybe makes sense because we were looking really closely at kind of a scattering of races in in different parts of the country. But yeah, let's start with Pennsylvania because that was definitely the most important in terms of the twenty twenty two elections. Exactly. Yeah,
1: and and I would say that that was the one just based on the expectations that I had from just, you know, looking at the polls and basic, keep my eyes open. That was kind of the only surprise there because we thought that she might yeah. win or be at least be in the thick of it. And she'd, you know, she's third place. She was not, she did well for, but not even close. So that was kind of the one thing that was a sort of a surprise to me.
0: Yeah. RIP to the flurry of Kathy Barnett profiles that came out in yep. the last two yep. weeks. But
1: if you're a reporter, be happy if you got it, if you published before yesterday. Oh, yeah. Because your piece is done now. It's <laughs> not Kathy never Barnett seen the light of day. It will yeah, <laughs> forever linger yeah, in yeah. drafts.
0: Exactly, but, exactly. Yeah. So I guess let's start with the Democratic side because they're, like you say, Fetterman was leading the two next closest were Connor Lamb and Malcolm Kenyatta. And He's been leading them for a really long time. In some ways, Lamb got into the race like four months after Fetterman. So he had a lot more time to, you know, build the war chest and the name. And there was some initial quibbling over kind of Fetterman versus Lamb. Some in the establishment preferred Lamb for all the boring reasons it is every time, which is that he, you know, has the look. He's kind of cleaner cut. And he was you know, he flipped a district that had been Republican for a really long time and was considered something of a, you know, rising star in the party. Um, But so there was this divide where Lamb was getting all these endorsements and Fetterman was getting none. And that kind of worked in Fetterman's favor. It fit the kind of character he's trying to cut, which is, you know, it's impossible to talk about him without talking about he, how he looks. It just is. He's six foot eight. You know, he's heavily tattooed. He kind of eschews formal wear and is always wearing like basketball shorts, even at like the White House egg roll.
1: He is a striking looking guy. Yeah. He's humongous. He's he's got a shaved head. He's got a you know non standard looking face.
0: Right. So he already kind of cuts that figure. And then on top of it, his biography is unusual. You know, he was born to fairly wealthy parents and was kind of on track to be in the insurance biz. And then his best friend was killed in a car accident when he was on his way to pick him up. And that kind of shook his whole worldview. And so he joined big brothers, big sisters, and had this little boy whose dad had died, whose mom was completely underwater. And it kind of changed his whole life. And he uh, went to Harvard for, you know, some kind of social work related grad program and then went into a GED program and that kind or you know, teaching other people GED skills. And that kind of got him. I was going
1: to say, how, how, yeah. <laughs> how did he get into Harvard then? Yeah. yeah and
0: yeah. that got him on the track to kind of, you know, he became mayor of Braddock this uh economically depressed town that has never really rebounded from the the uh, plummeting steel production industry in that part of Pennsylvania um, and really kind of made his calling cards early on things like criminal justice reform, uh, you know, marijuana legalization, $15 minimum wage, kind of on these like social justice populisty type planks and made those and- his thing.
1: And for those who, who are, are new to, to John Fetterman, one of his calling cards is something that doesn't get stated explicitly a lot, but you see John Fetterman. And one thing comes to mind, Trumper, you know, this, this is a Trump guy, just, just the, the personal presentation. Um, and you know, it's funny, I, I, personal pres all that stuff, you'd say this this is a Trump guy. Like if you kind of, you know, if you if you did a lineup of people and you've got the, you know, the guy with the goatee and the man bun or whatever, you know, Brooklyn Democrat, you know, AOC, and and you got Fetterman over here, Trump, Trump supporter, gonna be from Austriano. So and 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 it's not just visual, at least part of his sort of political pitch is I get cross over, you know, I'm populist. I can communicate in that world. Just one other thing is, you know, it's interesting when you said about, you know, how Fetterman had months longer to build up a war chest and stuff. In some ways, he didn't start running four months earlier. He started running 10 years ago. Everything about his, he's been on this trajectory. You know, there was the mayor story, then basically kind of the establishment state party kind of pulled him into the other, to Wolf's. I think, I don't know if they run as a ticket, but basically he became lieutenant governor. um, And now he's running for Senate. So this has all been, this has been a mythology that's been out there for a long time. Yeah,
0: and he actually, he has run for Senate before. He ran in 2016 when Katie McGinty was the candidate. And that kind of is what propelled him to run again, because at that time he was relatively quite low profile and still got something like 25% of the vote. So that's when he was kind of like, you know i've got the traction to do this in a real way um
1: and didn't she she go on um she went on to lose she did yeah yeah um
0: yeah so you know that's kind of how things shook out on the democratic side and oh
1: or, yeah. or wait, wait a second wait a second wait she sh-
0: wait a second what 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 year was this what in what year 2016 i'm pretty sure
1: Oh right. Okay. So this is when he when he ran for when what's his name ran for okay, got it, got it. I was I for some reason I was thinking that was one of the twenty eighteen or twenty twenty um yeah, I got the year wrong. Yeah. It makes sense. Got it.
0: Um so that's how things shook out. And like you say, there I would say on the on the whole, the Democratic primary was quite polite, like they kind of shied away from going after each other in any aggressive way until really the final weeks of the campaign. I think that's when particularly the Lamb campaign started being like, oh, my God, we are way behind this guy in polling. And that's when this 2013 incident started getting airtime, which is, you know, there are the people involved give disputing accounts of the story. Fetterman says he thought he heard gunfire when he was mayor of Braddock and he ran out and saw a black man running away from where where he thought the gunfire was coming from. And he, he came with a gun, but he says he never pointed it at him. And he, but he kind of, you know, Held him like until the police could get there. And then this guy's account of the story, this guy who is now in jail on an unreli- unrelated, actually kidnapping charges, but he says, That's not true. I was just jogging. He put the gun in my face, all this stuff. And in a weird twist, he also, he's, he, this guy is corresponding with the Philadelphia Inquirer with like handwritten letters about this, but he also says, uh, I don't think that means he shouldn't get to be senator. I think he spent most of his career helping black people, so it's just—it's weird, it's messy. Fetterman mostly kind of didn't really want to talk about it that much when it first came out. He since moved to a more aggressive position where he brings up the fact that this guy is in jail on kidnapping charges and uh, you know that kind of thing. So that's gotten a little more airtime of late, and. Then you had the health stuff, like you say, which is that he had this stroke. Um, that concluded with him getting a, a pacemaker. And what he, 40, implanted. 45 yeah. or
1: something? Quite, okay. yeah. yeah. Um,
0: and apparently that procedure went well. The, the weird aside thing here is like everybody's having strokes right now or every Democrat <laughs> is having strokes right now. You had Ben Lujan from New Mexico, which was what, like a month or two ago.
1: Even, yeah, three months Chris ago. Chris Van Hollen yeah.
0: also had a stroke this weekend Wait, that I, got basically even, no attention at all. I didn't even hear about that. Yeah. Like, some, he was giving a speech at some university or something and started displaying symptoms and was like, hospitalized for the stroke.
1: Huh. Yeah. Is he still in the hospital? I, I just, I, I hadn't even heard of this.
0: Think no, I, mean, I think no, but I'm not positive.
1: I, some of this, and again, I'm, like, you know, I shouldn't, I shouldn't uh, ad lib these things on, on on the air. But some of these, I, I think, some of this may be that at least with these transient ischemic strokes, they used since they generally pass on their own without major impairment. I think a lot of these in the past, just someone said, "Oh, yeah, I got got to take a nap, not feeling well," and 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 that's 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 not good because these things can, they can do damage over time. You know, they can, they can uh, make you sub, uh, you know, it's more likely you have a more serious stroke. But I think some of it may be that, that um, people just didn't go to the doctors for these things as much. But yeah, it seems like a lot, right? Yeah. A lot going on.
0: Yeah, just to correct myself, he was speaking at a democratic summit. Um, Van Hollen was. But, so yeah, that has all happened Towards the end of this race. And I mean, even the stroke kind of happened at a point where you were like, if you, you know, take off your human skin and put on your pundit skin, it's like, this is probably too late to make any difference. Also, it is. It's funny. Like, my first thought was, you know, remember when Bernie Sanders had like a heart event during the Democratic primaries and had stents put in and it was like not an issue. Which is kind of shocking, given that he's much older. It's easier to make a case of this is a problem, you know. Well, and also, I mean, it kind of, it, it
1: it was a f- it was a funny thing because, well, <laughs> it was an uncanny thing. Let's put it that way, because I don't remember it not being. A, I thought it was a pretty big deal, but I think also it happened. It happened at the point where. The primaries was still going on, but it it, it was increasingly clear that he was not going to win. Not that he couldn't win, but it didn't seem that way. And so I think when it happened, people were like, okay, we got to talk about this, but he's really probably not going to be the nominee. So it's not, you know, but yeah, an 80-year-old guy. I mean, and there was like a heart-related event and, everybody, and... and uh what was it i remember talking this is one of the one of the great things about, about uh, being involved with tpm is we have all these very responsive and in touch readers and they tell us things and you have people you know a lot of them are cardiologists and they and i remember talking to people at the time where based on the limited evidence about what they released to the public plus how it was handled in real time a lot of these cardiologists are like dude the guy had a heart attack And this was when they were saying it was a heart event, (laughs) you know, and you're like, dude, an 80 year old man had a heart attack. That's a big deal. That's a big deal, especially if he wants to be president. Um, But yeah, strokes back to strokes.
0: Okay, so. Basically, that's that's the lay of the land on the Democratic side. Um, You know, Fetterman has achieved this kind of like folk hero status. And now all of those kind of fluffy one day after think pieces were like, will John Fetterman be able to chart an unconventional path to the Senate? So there's that. And then on the Republican side, like you say, Barnett fizzled out, which Republicans are quite pleased about because (laughs) within two you know she was only kind of surging for like 2 weeks and in that limited time when opposition research was focused on her it uncovered a trove of bigoted comments pictures of her at January 6th i mean and that's just a few days of work imagine what happens yeah. when you go deeper
1: and and it's also i mean just it 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 doesn't um it's it is significant context that we should share uh, she's african american So that's not, you know, when we're talking about like a a crazy bigoted Trumper, that's not, you know, some, some, there's sometimes those things are combined, but it's not, you know, shifts your, your, your take a little bit. Um, But yeah, I mean, Democrats had to be hoping, I was kind of hoping like, you know, you get a perfect, perfect timing where her forward momentum gets her over the you know gets her over the hump before like a lot of the oppo stuff really lands although the funny thing is it didn't turn out that way but is the is that oppo gonna land quote unquote in a republican primary those are advantages right she said some terrible things about muslims awesome right that's that's what you want i mean that works in a republican primary i I suspect it was sort of like um largely a mirage based on a few polls cuz it wasn't that she I don't think she was ever ahead
0: no in she any was of just close
1: she was closing very quickly right. and and like getting near to uh getting near to a tie. wasn't wasn't again i i wasn't uh maybe didn't follow as close enough i thought that mccormick people weren't thinking mccormick could win i thought it was kind of oz versus her yeah. at least at the end
0: yeah i mean Polling has shown him to be kind of in the mix consistently, but I agree with you that he was somewhat written out of the equation. And I wonder to what extent is just because of the three, he's kind of the least interesting character. He's just like another rich guy who, who wants to be in Congress. That's nowhere near yeah. as fun as a TV personality or, or this kind of dark horse weirdo.
1: Yeah, no, It, it and it's funny because... Uh, From a distance, it looks like you got one crazy person, one TV star who Trump likes, and one sort of mainstream Republican. In fact, they're all running on Trump, you know, the Trump platform. And with the McCormick guy, it's hard. I mean, as you say, another rich guy who wants to be in the Senate. Not really clear to me. Is he really like a Trump guy or kind of the, you know, it's not going to run as a democrat and that's how you get a, you know right. that's that's what you have to do yeah
0: i mean it's funny because he and oz this campaign has such been a story of who can out maga the other and it's <laughs> not it's not a good fit for either of them because oz the only reason trump likes him is that he's a tv celebrity and in all these other ways oz is anathema to the current gop including that he has this dual citizenship with turkey he's muslim and he has said things... Reasonable things that are disqualifying for today's Republican Party, like questioning the scientific validity of fetal heart bill, uh, heartbeat bills, uh, you know, treating transitioning children on his show with some degree of you know sympathy and humanity, and acknowledging that there's systemic racism within the healthcare system. Like that stuff does not fly these days. And so you've got this guy who's not even particularly of a conservative bent trying to now fit into a maga suit, and then you've got McCormick who in some ways, is a more kind of traditional conservative Republican in that he's rich and has spent all of his time on in kind of competitive, bloodthirsty Wall Street boardrooms but it's not a neat fit for him either. Like I read this one interview he did with a Bloomberg reporter and it was painful to read because the reporter kept asking him who won the 2020 election. He tried to slither out of it and he'd be like, well, who won it? And he was just like, well, 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 okay, I think we're going to end this interview. And it's just like, oh my God, you know? So.
1: Yeah. There's, well, that's, so that's the thing that kind of both what ended up both of the candidates who now are still kind of in it since it's so close. Uh, are both phonies. Both total phonies of slightly different Mm -hmm. varieties of phonies. But I mean, I'll I'll tell you the, uh, the, the dual citizenship thing with Oz is very weird to me. Not dual. I know, I know lots of people who are dual citizens. Um, I even have uh, some family members who are, you know, kind of passively dual citizens. You never kind of sent the dear John letter to the old country kind of thing. Um, but in any case uh, with him, he says at least that he's a dual citizen because his mother still lives in Turkey and she's old and he needs to kind of care for her and being a citizen makes that easier. Like, okay. I mean, I, you know, I, who knows? I, that's what he says. Um, but, uh, and, and, People are dual, dual citizens, whatever. They're not usually senators. In my mind, I have nothing, I have no problem with dual citizens, but like if you're going to be in the Senate, you should go all in. You know, <laughs> you should, you should be, you should put all your, put all your chips in the American whatever. And it's not just a kind of a concept. You, when, when people, um, get various kinds there are various jobs in the u.s government you cannot get if you're a dual citizen because you have to have access to various classified information and you don't get that if you are a citizen of another country especially a country like turkey that you know we've don't always see eye to eye with them there were real issues in that relationship um you know canada Bahamas, you still can't do that, but it would be kind of whatever. You know, we don't really have many issues, but Turkey is a, is a, is a, it's a different country that has all, all sorts of stuff. And at first he's like, okay, if I become Senator, I won't do that national security stuff. I'll just recuse myself because he can't, he can't, you won't be able to look at the classified stuff. And you're sort of like, dude. What are you what are you talking about? You're not going to do the national security stuff. That's half the job. If anything, it's actually more than half the job because it's not talked about a lot. But the Constitution makes uh, the Senate more the national, you know, the foreign affairs body a little more than the House, blah, 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 blah. blah. Uh, So he said that and everybody's like, dude, (laughs) you don't have to be senator. But like, what is, what is, it's like you're applying for a job. You're like, oh, I just won't do that one part. You know, it, it, that is, uh, that, that's, that's, uh, weird. So what he ended up saying was, okay, if I get elected, I will, I will stop being a citizen of Turkey if I get elected, which again, sort of like, I'm not sure your heart's really in it. You know, can you, can you stop being a citizen of Turkey now? I mean maybe please and
0: perhaps if you're this eager well theoretically eager to represent Pennsylvania in the Senate you should have like you should live not there. lived in New Jersey for most of your life you know
1: Well isn't it I mean not just most of his most of his life isn't it kind of like like up until today
0: Well basically he yeah he registered with his in-laws Pennsylvania address in 2020 to vote for the, to vote in the election so
1: yeah. How well, was so I, I thought, I thought, I thought. Um, someone said, I don't know if this is true. I someone mentioned to me that that McCormick too.
0: Yeah, he's from Connecticut.
1: Okay. Yeah. So what was? It's funny because I, I was, I was, uh, I was talking about, I was you know, jabbering about something on Twitter and, and or I, I, I uh, you know, I RT'd something on Twitter and it was someone, you know, doing this kind of, you know, in time election analysis, you know, voting results analysis. And they were saying, oh, you know, McCormick's doing pretty well in his home county. And someone's like, dude, what home county? His <laughs> home county in Connecticut? He doesn't even live there. I guess this is where he's from originally okay, or right. where he grew up or something like that. Um, yeah. It's,
0: it's funny though, because It's just funny that we have these kind of like carpetbagger issues in the Senate race that you don't have in Pennsylvania governor race because there is a requirement that you have to live in the Commonwealth for, you know, some amount of years before you can run for governor, but there's no such requirement for the Senate. You just have to basically move there like the day before election day and you're covered.
1: Is that, I wonder if, is that a constitutional thing? Because you can't, you know, because there are, um... Federal law governs what um, uh, federal law governs what you can restrictions you can place on federal office holders and it 's not the same for state ones. Um, I did see something though that someone said that in in Pennsylvania on the ballot, they put your you know met, os they put your county yeah, the county you 're from, and so I was wondering you know they put down. <laughs> Passaic County, <laughs> <Right>. you know, <laughs> you know, whatever you know. I,
0: well, I, I
1: always forget which the different counties are in 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 New Jersey, but you get the idea.
0: So let's talk about Pennsylvania Governor briefly. You already kind of introd us to Doug Mastriano, who is not only you know super fringy in the way of like made his name on trying to overturn the election in twenty twenty, organized buses to January six, goes to events thrown by you know, QAnon conspiracy theorists, but also the striking thing about him is he has really, really embraced the Christian nationalist thing. You know, he paints his campaign as a a mission from God to restore glory to the country. There's always, you know, all of his speeches are punctuated with Bible verses. And, you know, I was just praying when, um, all this kind of stuff. It's It's, it's striking, and so he won handily. He doubled the vote share of Lou Barletta more than doubled he it. Got,
1: yeah, and he he got close to fifty. It was like forty five percent. that's right. In like a race where there's like six candidates, yeah. which is like unheard of. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. yeah.
0: Um, and then you have Josh Shapiro, who's the current AG of Pennsylvania. He ran unopposed in the Democratic primary, so that's the matchup, and it is the kind of thing where the cook political port reclassified the race from toss up to leans democratic because last night, because yeah, Mastriano's yeah, so nuts. And this is kind of what people are thinking the best outcome for Shapiro, right? Because Mastriano is extreme on absolutely everything. So that kind of gives whatever topic is in the news is going to have salience. Like on abortion, he wants to outlaw it with no exceptions. That is a position that's wildly out of step with the mainstream. So you can use that. You can use his voting stuff. You know, he's anti-union. You can use that. And there's just kind of so many pickings,
1: well he also like the insurrection totally that's bad yeah you know and it's and and this is a case also where we've had lots of it has been there are many examples in recent decades where a republican governor who you know is is very anti-abortion whether it's you know one exception or no exception you know basically totally down the line anti abortion they're able to get <clears throat> you know they're able to get elected in in certainly in purple states sometimes even in bluish states but that's always because most people knew that it didn't really matter now not there's there it doesn't totally not matter there are things governors can do but in practice it didn't really matter because it just wasn't up to state governments. Um, and obviously we know that's about to change. And the Pennsylvania, Pennsylvania is another one of these states where the legislature, state legislature is so deeply gerrymandered mm-hmm. that uh, it's not quite as bad as Wisconsin, but Republicans are going to own the legislature like forever. So it it's not, if you have a Republican governor It's not at all out of the question that they'll just outlaw abortion and that's it. Yep. So that that alone could do him in, frankly. Exactly. And that's not even. It's it's kind of funny because that's not even, you know, that's a fairly mainstream position in the Republican Party. I mean, I would almost say it's it it, there's very few people in the I mean, you know, you get into like, you know rape and incest exceptions and you know margin. but basically that's the that is that's a mainstream republican position not like the other like all the other wacky stuff that that is not you know not mainstream position but that's really the thing that could i think that's the that is the thing that could do him in yeah because a lot of these things that that we care about that we rightly care about those don't always break through you know, if someone's like, uh, you know, a Christian nationalist and, you know, only Christians are the true Americans and all this kind of stuff, a lot of voters like, w- what? Like, he's Christian? Okay. You know, it just, it, it's, it doesn't break through. But a lot of people get like, oh, they could outlaw abortion in, in the whole state? That, I get that.
0: Yeah. And I think that's why the Shapiro campaign has kind of really been laser focused on abortion and the voting stuff, because those are two things where we have very recent examples of how critical of backstops governors are, especially when, like you say, you've got these super gerrymandered, super right of center legislatures kind of acting with reckless abandon. So, yep. And then the other kind of interesting side plot of the Mastriano thing is that in Pennsylvania, governors and lieutenant governors don't run on the same ticket. But Mastriano had fully gone in and endorsed this guy, Teddy Daniels, who was a former uh, police officer. And we wrote about him somewhat recently because his wife had obtained a protective order against him, barring him from their home and from seeing their child. And, you know, I got the the documentation and it was accompanied by handwritten notes from her kind of detailing the abuse and the terror and everything. And one of the most upsetting kind of startling lines is that he kept threatening them saying, if I lose the campaign, you're not going to have anywhere to live. Like his campaign manager called her like 12 times and told her not to file the, um, or not to apply for the, the order that it was his order, campaign. Right? And All of this stuff. And that came out at the end of April. So, to the extent that anyone was paying attention to the lieutenant governor's election, you know, he finished in third with 12% of the vote, kind of expectedly. But it was funny because I was.
1: But was he earlier expected to do better before that all came out? It's the kind of thing where,
0: you know, state polling for primary sucks as it is and for lieutenant governor sucks, sucks, sucks. So it's like not really clear. Um, I mean, I think you would expect. Really, he was fully embraced by Mastriano, who, as we said, one-handedly. So I think you would, in that vein, perhaps expect him to do better than 12%. Um, But I I went to his Facebook page today because he's one of those guys who loves the live stream video feature, like (laughs) just likes to monologue into his phone for hours at a time. And he was saying, uh, you know, Teddy Daniels, not down and out, blah, 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 talking about all the dark money that came in to thwart his campaign. He's like a quintessential, uh, not only am I a victim, but like the coolest, most high profile evil entities are focused on me in particular, you know? But then he Mm -hmm. says, and none of it matters because I've been approached by, and I quote, national conservative media personalities to host my own nationally syndicated TV show. Which... I awesome. am dying to know who these national personalities are. <laughs> um,
1: well, that's the thing with, with, uh, you know, with Madison Cawthorn, you know, everybody's like, oh, we well, will just get a show on Fox. Right, right. Although, although, you know, it's funny, the thing is, though, I wonder with him, because some happened after that Coke and orgies thing that. It wasn't just like you know. It wasn't the never Trumpers who were upset with him. The sort of the the core, the sort of the backbench core of the Republican Party was just done. And 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 it's sort of like those are the kind of people. If you're done with those people, you don't necessarily get a show on Fox. Yeah. Because you you that that is sort of the actual center of gravity of the Republican Party. So I I don't. But you know this guy I you know. I guess onward and upward right. for him. Hope his wife. Ugh. You know, maybe I. I don't even want to say these are. It, it. It is. I have this kind of gallows humor about it. Sometimes, of course, it, the the issue is not funny, but it is like a calling card of being a winner in the in the Trump world. You've got to have at least a few. Sexual assault accusations, or like you know, your wife, your ex-wife got a restraint. I mean, it is stunning how much it is like a calling card. It, it and it's almost like that. That's what makes you kind of a made man in the in the you know. It's 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 really true. There was a weird thing last night. I, I don't remember what what. Um, I don't remember which candidate it was. But there is some Trump, Trump Trumpy candidate, female candidate, female candidate, who two of her ex-husbands have either testified of her domestic violence, again, her domestic violence against them, um, either testified to it or maybe, you know, documentation came out. I don't know. And she was like a come from behind winner. So it's almost like. It's like a big night it was like a big night for inclusion in trump world oh it's not just a calling card for men women who who are violent to their to their marital partners i mean it's it is I'm not talking about a few cases and look trump himself right. accusations of rape grope i mean it it, it it's it is um It's sort of a defining thing about our politics. Well, I mean, even in the Pennsylvania
0: race, the only reason Oz got the endorsement is because Sean Parnell dropped out amid uh, accusations of abuse from his wife during their custody battle. So, yeah, I mean, it's a striking commonality.
1: And that was, and that was sort of, that was, why did I'm trying to, I remember that, but the, I mean, the weird thing is those guys don't tend to drop out. Yeah. Trump sticks with them and it, and it goes, why did I, trying to remember what a, I mean it it seems obvious yes uh, came out he is like you know violent towards his 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 wife but again that's usually not enough in that in that world do you remember what what specifically forced him out or did he kind of just i kind of remember he kind of folded on his own that's my
0: memory of it as well maybe a little yeah i mean also there is the point that you know it's not just a divorce proceeding, you know, he is fighting for custody of his child. So. Right. That could be. A and case. A, and that's ongoing. Right.
1: Right, right, right. Yeah. So, and so it's not even that it necessarily knocked him out. He kind of folded maybe for personal right. reasons as much as anything. Um yeah. But yeah, it's, it's, that was, that was Trump's guy.
0: Yeah. The one other primary that I, I want to point us to because it, uh, has some comedic value for me is that we had the Ohio our Idaho governor, prime Republican primary, and there you have the incumbent Brad Little, who ended up winning. Like they called it less than two hours after the polls closed. But he was running against his lieutenant governor, uh, Janice McGeachin. And what's so funny about it is like this woman, every time Brad Little leaves the state, she like tries to use her temporary power to do all these crazy things and send him like, you know, hair flying, running back to the state to end whatever chaos she created. So, you know, she's, she's nuts. and It would be a bad thing if she won, but it is just kind of funny. Like every single time he steps on a plane, she's like, okay, what can we do now? You know, like trying to say all mask mandates are banned. And then he has to come back and be like, no, they're not, you know, or, or doing, um, Executive orders against workplace vaccine requirements—all these kind of culture warry stuff.
1: It is funny that I, you know, because those those laws which exist in many states are really pretty outmoded, right? This isn't again you know, used to be the case in the past. The governor leaves, you need a governor. There's, you know, it's not in touch. I mean, now is it? You know, it doesn't really matter if the governor is flies to D.C. You fly back the same day. You're in email contact and whatever. I remember years and years and years ago um and in in different states are different they i don't think in every state you can just have this thing where the governor steps past the border and suddenly like i'm full governor man (laughs) i've got the whole pack right um in, in other cases, it's like if something happens, maybe you have, to, you know, but you can't just start doing stuff as though you're really governor for like six hours or something like that. And I remember that um, when I was a kid, and I'm pretty sure I remember this right, in Jerry Brown's second governorship, not the second time he was governor, his second term, the first time he was governor. Okay. So like I think 78 to 1982. Um, the first time he had a democratic Lieutenant governor, but the second time, uh, you're already getting towards Reagan and all that, you know, the Reagan revolution and stuff in any case, this guy, Mike curb became Lieutenant governor and they got, uh, they got into the similar kind of thing where, when Brown would leave the state curb, would be like, dude, I'm governor. Let's do it. Right. Um, so you had a similar, had a similar, um, similar kind of thing but wasn't she like she was the whole like going to the white nationalist rallies i mean you know it's a funny thing because idaho probably the normal guy is pretty out there but you know in contrast this is almost like um you
0: know, she's like a militia person. Totally, or Yeah. She like yeah. freely embraced the militia movement, made no bones about it. I mean, she's nuts, but it's just so funny to me, this concept of like, you know, a little kid wins a contest to be principal for a day. And they're like, all right, let's get to work. You know, I got, I got 10 hours. <laughs> what can we do here? <laughs>
1: Totally, totally, totally. Okay. So, any other any other races we should we should discuss here? I
0: don't know. I think that's I think that's about all of it for now.
1: Well, what about Madison? We were going to talk a little about Madison, oh, yeah. just that kind of that whole kind of thing. I mean, Kate and I were talking before we went um, before we went on air. Uh, Politico, political magazine, did a big you know, big, big, long magazine piece by uh, one of their top writers on uh, Cathorn, And basically the... Um, the sort of the gist of that piece was he was always going to blow apart. You know, he was always going to melt down like this. And one of the things, though, uh, about that piece is, you know, this guy's terrible. He's terrible. He has... Awful political positions. He's all in with the insurrection. He's a liar, a stone cold liar. And even before, uh, you know, before his accident, when he was younger, there's all this accusations about abuse of women and, you know, not a good guy. And yet you read this article, especially the introduction to the article, and this guy had a life-changing, absolutely horrible thing happen to him. You know, in college, having, you know, living the life, and he's in this terrible auto accident, and he's paralyzed for the rest of his life. Um, with all that goes through, and it kind of, you know, you... you, you uh, it's a complicated story. Doesn't justify any of the other stuff, but like this is a, you know, there's a human being who who underwent something absolutely horrible.
0: Yeah, it was just a bit hard to read without having any sympathy, notwithstanding the awful stuff. It doesn't excuse it, but like there was this one part in particular that really struck me. It was kind of right on the heels of the accident, which he was suing his friend for, and all this horrible, tangled up, painful stuff. And then he kind of got it into his head to run, filed the paperwork, decided to run, proposed to his girlfriend in like a you know, few weeks, maybe days stretch. And you just read that and you're like, oh my God. You know, this is someone in their 20s doing all of this at once with some clearly unprocessed trauma hanging around. I mean, there's no way to read that and not compare it in your head to you know, some kind of like famous rock and roll person who goes on this manic spree of this, this, and this. And then all of a sudden it's like, and then you find out they were heavily using drugs or something. It's that same sense of just, you are moving so fast because you're afraid to to stay still and kind of fall apart. And that, it catches up to you at some point, you know? And he made the mistake of running afoul of his own party. And again, you can argue that he deserves it, and I wouldn't disagree. But it was somewhat hard to watch this person become the subject of a full fledged opposition campaign from their own party.
1: And and when they do it, they do it. They
0: do it. They took no him out. Barred. It
1: was yeah. They, over a period of maybe like two months, they just like destroyed him. And again, in a lot of ways. You know, couldn't happen to a better person. Yeah. Deserved it. Sowed the seeds. Uh, but you watch it and and um, you know, it's it's uh Republicans don't do that. They do it to their own. They don't do it to their own on that side of the party. It just doesn't happen. But he he crossed a line they were not okay with, and and that was it for him. Yeah. And now uh he's you know. He's going to be former. I mean, and representative. It's
0: like, look, you've got people like Marjorie Taylor Greene and Paul Gosar. You know, you've got like kind of avowed white supremacists in their ranks who never got this treatment, who got this kind of, well, I'll go talk to them from McCarthy, and then Democrats are like, well, we're going to kick them off their committees, and that's the extent of it. And they're still serving in Congress. You know, they still have these esteemed positions of power. And again, Madison's bad. No one's arguing that, but. It is kind of nuts and somewhat telling that this orgy thing brought, the, you know, the cavalry down on him. And that yep. these other yep. atrocious things these people said was, you know, a slap on the wrist, I would say, is too aggressive <laughs> for how they were treated.
1: Yeah, yeah, no, totally, totally. And so well, we see the consequences. Yeah. All right, so we, have, we got any questions? Or are we Yeah,
0: sad? well, this question is kind of totally unrelated from what we've been talking about. But I thought we could still do it just because, you know. This stuff in Ukraine is still happening, even though our usually domestically focused uh, attention has gone elsewhere. So this is a question from Robert, who says he has a question about the $40 billion aid package to Ukraine that just passed. Um, the pre-war GDP of Ukraine is only about $160 billion, and the country has had and probably still has its issues with corruption. Um So, you know, we're pumping in this huge amount. I'm wondering the impact that has either to their inflation, corruption or other distortions it may create for their economy.
1: It's a good question. Um, I would assume that uh, Ukraine is a small enough country and sort of wired into the rest of the international economy that its its inflation is going to be largely following the sort of international trends, which is relatively high inflation right now. I don't think there's anything um, about their monetary policy that is, I don't think that's going to be an issue. I don't know a lot about uh, that part of the Ukrainian economy. But as much as everybody's a big fan of Ukraine right now for great reasons, the country is, ha, does have chronic entrenched corruption, very deep and that is that's for a lot of different reasons um so this is a real issue if you're putting all this money into the country where is a lot of it gonna go um and i i would think with a lot of this military aid we and the europeans are we're not just gonna be cutting a check and say hey whatever you want to buy go find it i think we're gonna we're gonna have a pretty um a you know keeping pretty close oversight of that and most of it is uh military aid obviously at the moment uh unlike what what happened in russia and is at least one of the reasons why they are doing so poorly militarily because there's so much military corruption I think most Ukrainians really want to make sure they get the weapons and get the right weapons and get them in the right place. So I think on the military front, um, that will be manageable mostly. Um, but there's also a lot of aid and there needs to be a lot of aid for rebuilding after this war is over, or at least when it's moved on from certain parts of the country. And, um, there the corrupt the corruption issues are that's real right you you pump a lot of money into to rebuild the roads and rebuild the bridges and all that kind of stuff that's that's an issue and and i don't think there's a i don't think there's a great answer to that i'm sure there's a lot of people in the us government and in the eu and and in ukraine it's it's not like the point here is not that everybody in in ukraine is corrupt there's ways that states can evolve where corruption becomes entrenched. And you have a kind of a spiral where if everybody else is corrupt and you're not, you start thinking like, am I a chump? I'm not getting my piece. Or, um, you know, one of the things that you have seen with... Uh, one of the things, it's been pushed to the background now, but one of the things that you have seen with Zelensky is... My general understanding is there are very little accusations of Zelensky himself being corrupt, and that's that was not the case with a lot of the former presidents. Even even you know, good guys and bad guys, all all sort of deep in corruption. But Zelensky has backers who are corrupt, and then you have to have backers. So it's 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 deeply entrenched. Um, And uh, that's going to be one of these problems they're just going to have to work with. I will say I, I had heard that, understandably, that the Biden administration has wanted to be careful politically how tight they get with the Ukrainian government. Because there's a lot of corruption that can blow back at you, right? Your funding, and it turns out there's this and the money went this, you know that's gonna be a problem. and so i the best I can answer this is to say that I think the the military aid component will be manageable for the reasons that I said. The rebuilding that's gonna that's gonna take some work um, and that's gonna be a real problem so. All right. With that wisdom, is that I guess that's we covered. The, we covered uh, pretty much the whole terrain with these with these different elections. Okay. Well, let me remind you uh, that the Josh Marshall podcast is brought to you by Grady's Cold Brew Ice Coffee. That's at Grady'sColdBrew.com, and you can save twenty five percent if you use the promo code TPM. And uh, I think that's it.
0: All right. See you next week. Later.